Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share with you in these podcasts, our love of horses and our fascination with training. And when I say it's a non-stop conversation, I mean it's a non-stop conversation. So in our last podcast, we started off by talking about Luby training, and that took us to a description of the poison cue. And we reached a point where we needed to stop and, and regroup a little bit, but our conversation just kept racing on. So Dominique, you said you wanted to add something to what I was saying about the poison cue. So jump right in and go for it. Yeah, because you said that when you looked at the poison cue, now as positive trainers, when we look at it, we see that poison cue is a result of lumping. But for me at the time, when I looked at this DVD, it answered one of the questions that I had when I was looking at traditional trainers who were getting behaviors But then I had read, you know, about these long-lasting negative effects of using corrections and punishment, and you just see it. You just see it in this DVD that it does have this effect. I mean, you see the same animal not performing well at all under the more punitive conditions. And so one of the questions that it answered was, is efficiency the only criteria we should use when we're selecting how we teach? And when you look at this Poison Q DVD, you just think, no way. The way this animal is looking, I think the ethics too is very important. And then you even see that how powerful the positive reinforcement conditions are. And so even in terms of the efficiency, you think, wow, because now I can use my cues to shape new behaviors and to create complex loops and complex chains. But this part for me was important. It was important because I I saw a lot of traditional trainers getting great results. And, you know, I always think these people, these, because some of these traditional trainers are extremely skilled, but if they saw this DVD, if they knew about this information and could use their skills in the Venn conditions, wow, they would create magical things. Absolutely. When you can put clicker training into the hands of knowledgeable, skilled trainers, you can go straight up into the stratosphere. I've always said that there are two groups that will really push clicker training into new frontiers. One is those very, very skilled trainers, the people who already know how to train Piaf or Passage, who have a a training plan for it, who know what they're looking at when they look at beautiful balance, or when they know what a reigning spin looks like, or who know how to set out the gymnastics for teaching horses how to jump better. 
that kind of thing. And they're, they have a skill set already in place. And the other group are the people who have no horse background whatsoever. And so they don't know how things are supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. And so they come up with creative ideas. And when you look at it, you sort of do the one of those, duh, well, why didn't I think mm-hmm. of that? Why didn't I think to shape it that way? And the reason why was because if you've got a horse background, you're often stuck in a rut of thinking about how to teach things from that horse training tradition. I, I, I mean, one of the classic examples of that for me was and this is sort of off the topic of loopy training, but it fits this, was years ago when I was teaching Robin to bow, and I went through the procedure that you generally use in shaping the bow, and it took me a while to get it trained, and it was fine, and he's got a very nice bow, and, and it was done all with pure positive reinforcement, but it was a time-consuming process. And then one of my clients who had ponies showed me how she taught her horses to bow. You know how when you've got horses that are in a paddock and there's grass and the horse gets down on his knee and puts his nose underneath the fence and gets the grass. Well, she used that. She used, she had the, she would lure the the horse down with a goodie and the horse would get down on its knees and put his nose underneath the fence and get his, his goodie and his grass. And within one session, she had shaped and could move the, the horse away from the fence and she had a beautiful bow. And I looked at that with one of those, well, duh. But I know the reason I would never, it would never have, I would never have thought to use the fence in that way. And it's because oftentimes when horses put their heads under the fence to get to the grass, they rub their mane. And so it is so aversive to me to see the horse putting his nose under and ruining his beautiful mane, that it would never occur to me to use the fence to train a behavior. It would just never have occurred to me to train the behavior in that way. Kind of taking us off the track of the loopy training. One of the things that you hear a lot is that when you use corrections, your animal is going to do the minimum that he has to do to avoid the correction. And when you use positive reinforcement, your animal is going to go over and above. And so when you talk about efficiency, and one of the things that you look at in that Poison Q DVD, when in the, in the videos, is under the Venn condition, you see the enthusiasm. You see the head is up, the tail is wagging, there's lots of energy. And under the punir condition, you've got the suppressed behavior. It's hard to watch. The, the head is down. The tail is down. The dog is, there's a lot of hesitation. So if I want energy, if I want brightness, if I want my animal to look like a superstar when he's forming these behaviors, then I lose out by putting the animal under punir conditions. You know, one of the things, because this whole poison cue conversation was actually the introduction (laughs) to the loopy training DVD that I've been revisiting. And 
the other part that I thought was quite interesting, um, because you're talking about the enthusiasm of the Venn animal, but sometimes with our horses, the enthusiasm, we want to keep it to, we want to make sure that it's well balanced. And loopy training can do that too. It'll provide balance and stability for if the Venn animal becomes too exuberant. Because one of the pearls that I had in the, that I found in, in the first disc was this statement that says, a well-built loop contains self-balancers. Ah, yes. And I love that, that as a part of the loop, the emotional self-control was part of a clean loop. Yes. Yeah. So the Loopy Training DVD is now the other DVD that I think any horse owner or any animal owner needs to have and needs to watch. Certainly they need to have an understanding of what the Loopy Training concept does for them. So for example, we talked about the poison cue. And you say, well, what do you do if you have a poison cue? And one of the easiest answers is you just change the cue. Right. But sometimes it's not that easy. Well, if the cue, the poison cue is the saddle or the lead. Exactly. It's not that easy to change. <laughs> it's not that easy to change. So what do you do? Well, you, you find the tiniest, tiniest kernel of behavior in which everything is clean and everything is then. You may find that you are peeling back and peeling back and peeling back to find that kernel. So it might be something as, it might be something simple as, I'm gonna give you a treat, I'm gonna give you another treat, and I'm gonna give you another treat, and I'm not gonna make it contingent on anything. You may have to go that far back. Mm. Or maybe it's just basic targeting. Touch the target, click treat, and that's my kernel. Or maybe it's an ear perking forward, and I'll click and treat that, and that's my beginning point. There are lots of different beginning points, but you, you find that tiny little kernel, however small it needs to be, and you rebuild from there. So you rebuild in a way that your loop remains clean so that when you get the behavior and you click and you reinforce it, then you get more of that behavior, you click, you reinforce it, and the loop that you are seeing contains only the behaviors that you want. It doesn't contain unwanted behaviors. And the mantra of loopy training is, when a loop is clean, you get to move on, and not only do you get to move on, but you should move on. One way to, to move on is to add in other behaviors. So now it might be, show me grown-ups. In other words, Show me that you can be calm and that your head is between your shoulders and you're in your own space. And when I see a good example of the grown-ups are talking, please don't interrupt, one of the foundation lessons, then instead of clicking and reinforcing that, I'll offer you the target to touch. You touch the target, click treat, go into grown-ups. Really nice loop there. And the cue for touching the target, the target itself, reinforces that good grown-ups. So you want to be careful when the horse, if the horse is standing in grown-ups with his ears plastered back to his skull, at the moment that you hold the target up, 
and you then click and reinforce him for orienting to the target, what have you just reinforced? Plaster your ears to your skull. So that's, and so it's a really good habit to pay in the early stages when you're just learning the foundation lessons to pay attention to when you cue the next behavior. There are good graphics in the DVD that really show you that there are two sides to the cues. There's what comes after and what comes before and cues are reinforcers and um, it for for the preceding behavior. It's it's graphically well explained in the DVD. Thank you. They work in two directions, you yes. keep saying in the in the DVD. So of course everyone knows that they're a green light for a behavior that will be reinforced, but they are also a reinforcer for the preceding behavior. That's right. That's right. And that brings us to what you were just saying about a, a well-constructed loop contains those balancers. It has the, the for every behavior you teach, there's an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. So if you're going to ask for energy, then within some part of the loop, you want to also ask for calmness. And you're going to tailor your loop to the individual. So I can't give you a recipe of, well, it's three parts calm for every uh, one part of energy, because if you have a- Shut down horse, let's say. Oh, if you have a foot, you know, that the, the example I often think of is you turn two horses out to graze in the early morning. And the first horse goes out, goes five steps out, puts his head down, and he's grazing. The other horse goes out and does a lap or two around the, the, the field and then puts his head down to graze. One is a foot mover, more energetic horse. The other is an energy conserver. And you're going to need to design loops that are tailored to those two individuals. One is, and one is not better than the other. This is, this horse is good, yep. that horse isn't. It's just this horse does laps when he first goes out and this horse puts his head down to eat. So you're going to tailor your training to the individual that you have. You're going to tailor your loops to the individual that you have. And the loopy training, it's such a great concept because mm. it does help you to create those balancers so you don't end up either reinforcing and working so much on stand still that you suddenly discover that you have a horse that won't move nor have you worked so much on go 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 that now you feel out of control because as soon as you click the horse is off to the races again mm-hmm. yeah and and there's a there's a very interesting segment in it too where uh because obviously People will focus a lot on the behavior. Is it well performed with fluency, etc.? But there's a whole segment about food delivery, which is more our part of the behavior we have to do, but also uh, the importance of making sure not only that we are doing it in a right way, but that the, the animal knows where it's going to be delivered, that it understands the food delivery. You know, sometimes with dogs, we'll toss 
a treat to reset the animal for the loop. But if you toss a treat for a horse, mm, you know, unless you've really taught him this, he, he won't understand it. There's even an example in there where, because there's this whole discussion about are jackpots a good idea or not a good idea? And so will they help us make a clean loop or not? And it's very interesting because there's a dog there where the, the jackpot is delivered in a way that the animal doesn't even know that there's food coming from. It's coming from a tube. And so the loops breaks down, the behavior breaks down because he's frustrated. He doesn't know where the food is, what, where it's coming from. And so the food delivery part is important and it makes us aware that all the elements of the loops need to be clean for a loop to be clean. Yes, and you have to teach it. Yeah, you have to teach it. If I want my horse to sometimes come forward to get the treat, and sometimes to stand still and sometimes to back up, then I need to teach that understanding and that expectation. Someone might say, well, why would you want to have the horse come forward? Why don't you just always want to go to the horse? And know what, there are times where I want to reinforce the horse for coming out of the behavior that he was just in. I think one of the easiest ways to think of that is if I have a horse who's standing next to me and he's looking really beautiful. He's in that lovely feed where the perfect horse would be and where would the perfect horse be where he looks beautiful to you. So you've been doing that. So now he's, his, his neck has got that lovely dressage horse arch to it and he's, his ears are perked forward and everything is, is just really, really pretty. You could take a picture of it and frame it and put it on your wall because your horse just looks gorgeous. But now what you'd like to do is click and feed forward so he comes out of that balance to get the food and then he has to go back and find that beautiful expression and balance that he was just in and then you can click that and you feed him a little bit forward and then he has to go find that balance again so what he's doing is he's confirming for you that he knows how to get back into the clickable moment. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be one example of where I would want to feed out of the position. And when I hold my hand out away from him, I don't want him to look baffled. Where's the food? Why are, why are you not bringing me the food? So, or I might want him to back up. So I might click and present the food in such a way that he has to take a couple of steps back to get the food. And that can be so powerful in teaching space management. It certainly is a wonderful way to introduce backing to a horse so they learn the body language that when you turn into them, if they take a couple mm. steps back, the, the food is right there. And that's such an easy way to introduce backing in the first place. And then later when you turn into them and they take a step back, then it's click and treat, but you, you get it first out of the food delivery. So there's so much power that we get from the food delivery. And the primary thing is that we just want the food delivery to be polite. So if I'm- To be a what? Polite. 
Oh, polite, yes. So yes. if I'm counting my fingers after I've given my horse his carrot, there's a problem. So first and foremost, I want to know that the reinforcement side of the click is clean, that I'm presenting the food well, that when I click, that I am reaching into my pocket, I'm reaching into my treat bag, and I am efficiently and deliberately and in a rhythm that suits the training and the energy level that I want so I'm not feeling rushed, nor am I taking too long and sort of fussing around and, oh, those are my car keys. No, I don't want to, oh, where did that, you know, so, but I'm getting the food out to the horse. And that when I deliver the food, that the horse knows how to take the food softly, politely from my hand. He's not snatching it. He's not pinching my my hand. And one of the things that you can use the food delivery for is to monitor how your learner is doing. So if he normally takes the food really softly, but Mm. all of a sudden he starts to grab at the food, Mm -hmm. there's something you need to pay attention to. What is, what is, what is causing that change is, are you asking for too much? Mm -hmm. And now he's feeling confused and he's feeling stressed. Is your horse who normally takes the food fairly promptly? Is he starting to slow down going for the food? Well, maybe he's getting tired. So you, you get a lot of information from the food delivery. So having that baseline of what does a clean loop look like is really important because then when the baseline changes, when you see that change in the food delivery, it gives you information. Yeah, that is information. The the other thing too, and I didn't want to interrupt you earlier when you were giving us your mantra, you know, when a loop is clean, you should move on. I find that the loopy training gives us it a lot of clarity into the shaping process. We used to read a few years ago that if the behavior was 80% fluent, you should you should go to the next one. And for me, it was kind of fuzzy. But this, the loopy, the clean loop, the smallest, cleanest unit, that I can see. That is not fuzzy. It's very clear when you have a clean loop and it's been repeated with fluency, you know that you can go to the next unit. You can go to the next level. You can ask a little bit more. You can raise your criteria. And 80%, I mean, it was Kay Lawrence who pointed out, 80%, when you're driving, do you want the other drivers on the road to be 80% accurate (laughs) at stopping (laughs) at traffic lights? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, where did that, where did the 80% come from? And why are we allowing that much variability and that much, oh, unwanted behavior to become embedded in our training? And the thing is, is that when you, when you work with the loops, it actually goes faster. You're starting smaller, but you're ahead faster. Yes, very much so. And you, you can measure training. So what or uh, not train you can measure progress so well that yeah when you you start out with this really tiny little might just be a little weight shift at the art and science conference I showed video clips from one particular horse and the first day this horse was so 
locked up and shut down in offering anything. So it was just get a tiny little shift, click treat, tiny little shift, click treat. That was the loop. Just any little murmur of a, a weight shift. And within the course of one training session, that tiny little weight shift went from that to a loop that had multiple steps, went from that to this horse being able to go from that higgledy-piggledy balance that just looked so uncomfortable to a horse that could stand square within himself, in balance within himself. And the loop, it, it came out of starting with small loops and just following them. And the, the progress is so reinforcing because the change in the loops happens I want to say it happens seamlessly because the other piece in this is when you say when a loop is clean, you get to move on. Well, what do you move on to? Mm -hmm. One of the things that you move on to is that which is already occurring within your loop. So if you've got a horse, for example, standing in the grown-ups are talking, and I, I often use these foundation core behaviors in the examples mm. because they're fairly simple behaviors so they're easy to talk about and to understand yeah i like i like the um there's an image in the, in the dvd it says you know simple behaviors become the anchor behaviors which you can use to build more complex loops i like that anchor behaviors yes they're the anchors they're your base behaviors whatever word really makes sense to you so if you have an animal who is standing in grown-ups and you're beginning to build some duration. And in that duration, you're starting to notice that sometimes his ears are flicking forward. Then that's fair game now mm -hmm. to go after the ears. So, yeah. and, and because that behavior is already occurring, you're not going to find yourself in an unpleasant extinction process where you're looking for something and the animal doesn't have a clue, and his ears haven't gone forward for the last five minutes. And in fact, the longer you hold out for the ears, the less likely it is that he's ever going to put his ears forward. No, instead, you're just shifting your criteria. You're following what is evolving, the next variation in the behavior that begins to solidify enough that you can grab hold of it and say, now... That's my new criteria. This is how I'm, I'm expanding that loop out. So you really start spiraling out. You picture a spiral that you start with a really tight, tight spiral sort of at the bottom of a cone. And then you just spiral out and spiral out and spiral out. And on each spiral, it's just getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And it's because it's including more elements of a complex behavior yeah at the end of the first disc because there are three and we've already we've only covered one third of it there's a big discussion that relates to what we talked during our first webinar you know giving horses cue and letting them use their behaviors to cue us yes and there's a big part of the uh, of that dvd that addresses that how cues are not just given by humans Cue communication as is a two-way communication. Yes. 
And great example of, of Anne with Panda, the, her guide horse, who is constantly cueing her. Yes, and that understanding that we are not the only ones who give information that our animals do as well, and that cues are very much a two-way street. And I think that we've come to another one of those places where we should pause because you've just cracked open a huge door in that discussion of cues versus commands. And it's something that we talked about earlier in one of the very first podcasts that we needed to come back to. What is the difference between commands and cues? Why do we have these two different terms and what do they mean? So let's pause here in our nonstop conversation and then pick up right away and talk about cues and commands. So we hope you have a lot of fun this week creating clean loops. And if you want to dig even deeper into subjects such as loopy training, be sure to register to our June 30th webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. For more information, visit our website at equiosity.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you.